0: Whether you're an aspiring music business professional or a seasoned vet, every Thursday, the Music Business Podcast brings you the trends and tactics from some of the world's most innovative minds in music. I'm artist manager and consultant, Jordan Williams. And I'm Sam Heisel, co-founder of the music marketing and content production agency, Knox.
1: We're not teachers. We're entertainment industry professionals, drinkers, wannabe comedians, and most importantly, fans.
0: Welcome to the show. Jordan, what's happening, man? What's up, Sam? Yo, not much, man. I think I'm about to head back to New York. Finally uh, right, fled New York to stay in Chicago for these past couple of months. But excited to to go back to the, the Big Apple.
1: Yeah, I'm going to be back soon. So I totally feel you. I totally yeah. feel you, man. But uh,
0: today's episode got somebody uh, not too far from New York. Uh, headquarters based in New Jersey with another office in uh, Los Angeles. It's Roy LaManna the CEO and founder of Vidya. Roy has kind of founded the company from scratch and has grown it over the years into a 60-person company. Um, Really interesting and amazing journey. Essentially, Vidya provides digital infrastructure for audio and video distribution, content production, rights management, advanced payments, data tracking, all these different services from one easy-to-use platform for different labels, managers. I think he he spoke very well to the fact that um, really feels and i think a lot of us are on the same page that we're over in the coming years it's not going to be three or four major labels that dominate the market but we'll see thousands of smaller independent labels that specialize in building communities around their artists um and he wants to be able to really equip those different managers and labels with a a toolbox and means of distributing their music so i think it's it's really a one-stop shop for music distribution you've probably seen other kind of indie distributors i think these guys are Uh, uh, One notch above the rest and and offer an increased suite of tools so that way um, labels and managers that might not be working with majors still have access to the same infrastructure that they can use in order to to help their artists thrive and get paid. So, really loved talking with him, loved learning about his journey, not only in creating all this value for the the music industry, but also just his journey as an entrepreneur. Uh, He's built this company from scratch to employing over 60 people how he manages people, how he's been able to constantly evolve the value proposition and say relevance, uh, all really fascinating to me. What do you think, Jordan?
1: Yeah, I think the business model in general, just the way he described it is really interesting. I mean, investing in, he said, investing in labels and managers and not necessarily artists. So, you know, we get into what that means. um, And and we talk about what type of managers and, and what type of label heads he wants to partner with. And I think a lot of people can can gain insight, not just if they want to work with Vidya, but if they want to be a good manager. You know, a lot of the things that we talk about, and he gets into that in the episode, is just about being a good manager. And some of the things that he spoke on of who he wants to partner with and why he wants to partner with them, um, it, it, it ties it ties back to that. And it's it's relevant not just to Vidya, but, but to the industry in general. So I think people will definitely get some gems from that for sure. Yeah, for sure. Um,
0: and one last thing before we jump into it, but we did have a little uh, technical difficulty at one point where uh, my internet cut out. I go hide it. it was I was me. about to say it wasn't yeah. me, bro. Yeah, it wasn't All me, bro. Out, like, <laughs> three, three, my uh, yeah, my, my shit hit the, my my internet hit the, the shit hit the fan. Um, with that said, about five ten minutes into the episode, uh, it cuts out, but we pick right back up you might hear a little kind of uh we kind of picked right back up in the conversation with where we left off so uh if you wonder why this sentence, one sentence doesn't make sense because <laughs> we spliced it together um but without any further ado let's get into the episode really excited for this one let's do it roy what's happening man how you doing today good how are you you're good excited to have you on man so i think um uh, and we were speaking a little bit before we we kicked off the recording, but really excited to have you on because I feel like Vidya has built up and continues to really evolve the the value proposition and way in which they work with the music with the music industry. But it's is, it is largely still a kind of technology company at its core, which is interesting to see. Can you talk a little bit just about the the journey of like founding Vidya, kind of what you were doing a little bit before, and how you came up with the idea and started building the company?
2: Yeah, so so I started um, in 2008. I started a, uh, a company called Trendsetter Media Marketing, and uh, what we are and still are are a you uh, know it, it was a music video kind of digital PR agency, and, and we worked for you know I mean early on our our very first project was uh, was uh, uh, Taiga, you know uh, his first video when he was signed to uh, Pete Wentz's record label. And, um, and from there, you know, things grew pretty quickly. Um, but around like 2012, 2013, you know, we started getting hit up by a lot of our clients that wanted us to kind of market their videos on uh, on kind of the newly formed uh, Vivo platform, right? And, um, and so at that time, you know, Vivo really was kind of setting themselves up as like, you know, um, a premier kind of video destination, right? It was kind of the early phase of like, you know, the blue check mark where if you had a channel or if you had your video on Vivo, because they were essentially a closed platform, um, there was some sort of like, you know, notoriety that kind of came along with it. And so, um, you know, we had a really good, uh, roster of clients and, you know, a lot of times, you know, some of these people, um, couldn't really, you know, it was, things were starting to go Indie. Uh, it was like the early days and some artists like, you know, we trying to figure out how we could do promotion. On VIVO and 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 the way that it was and just similar to like what Spotify deals or Apple deals look like is that if you want to really pitch for like playlisting or promotion, um, you you have to be a distributor. You know, you, you can't really be a third party. And so, you know, we kept just turning down these people and, and sending them to like TuneCore or whatever. Uh, and then soon after, kind of TuneCore stopped uh, delivering videos to VIVO, and uh, it kind of created an opportunity. So I approached you know the people over there who I you know who I knew. And I was like, "Hey, man, um, you know, we have some clients that want to get on the platform. Uh, there's no really good solution. We already had like um, the uh, like we already knew how to encode and bl- deliver content from like doing that with like MTV and doing that with other like digital platforms like MySpace and stuff like that. Um, you know, which is obviously prevalent back then. Um, and then they gave us a deal, and that was it. And originally, it was like we were just signing people up for for Vivo um, and like getting them onto the channel." And, uh, and then soon enough, you know, they, you know, a lot of these things started, you know, generating money. And, uh, and then we're like, oh man, we need to know, how, you know, we need to figure out how to pay these people. And then, um, I, I, you know, just went onto Facebook and I was like, anyone, anyone know how to make a website, you know? Um, and then I just got introduced to one guy and, uh, and then that happened to just be my co-founder Nvidia, And just like, you know, like I could, have, I just happened to get some kid. Uh, who was in college, who happened to be like a brilliant programmer. And I was just like, you know, I, I think in anyone's journey, there's there's some skill and then there's also just pure dumb luck, you know? Uh, and that was kind of my dumb luck moment to just get someone that's really a talented, you know, coder. And so uh, so we started building out the website. And from there, you know, we were like, you know, the idea originally was TuneCore for video. Like we, we kind of felt like, you know, TuneCore at that time was kind of, I mean, people don't realize that they were, they were, they were just coming out of bankruptcy, you know, like this was like, you know, and it doesn't seem that long ago, but 2012, 2013, there was still like, you know, uh, people weren't really convinced streaming was going to be a thing. And so, um, yeah, so I I originally built TuneCore for video with the hope, uh, with the hopes that like I'd be able to pay my light bill, you know, I was kind of like (laughs) the aspirations weren't too high, you know, it was just like, I have a $50 light bill. I want to be able to pay that while I sleep. <laughs> uh, and looking back i definitely like if i were to go into a time machine and slap the old self i'd be like man you gotta think bigger you know you gotta think you know because uh yeah having the aspirations to just make an extra 200 bucks a month you know probably you know like now seeing what it's turning into uh certainly wasn't wasn't big enough you know
0: yeah for sure
1: I would think, though, that you also, like, you know, could use some of those markers to kind of celebrate those small wins along the way. And those had value in themselves, though, as well. So, like, you know, I'm sure when you eventually paid your light bill, it was like, oh, yeah. Oh, cool. I paid my light bill, you
2: know. Oh, yeah. No, that I mean, yeah. Well, yeah. So so from from like those days were great, right? Because it was like it was it was a very lean operation. Um, you know, I I, I quickly like, I have, like, kind of my whole backstory that, you know, that I've done, like, uh, I did a TED talk on and stuff like that about, like, alternative educations. And so, like, you know, from my standpoint, like, it was, it was great, because, like, um I always have come from the standpoint of, like, just the difference between me and basically anyone else on the planet, it's how much time I dedicate to something. So, um so I just say, you know, you put enough time into being a mechanic, and you could be a great mechanic. And, and so I was like, I got really fascinated about building websites. Um, and then I just dove into a rabbit hole, just taught myself everything, you know, just shadowed, you know, Mark who came on board, learned everything and then started just hacking away and building our own stuff. And it was, it was great. It was like, it was one of those, I just remember it actually was like a weird, like, uh, almost, almost like a movie moment, you know? So I built the website, uh, cause originally it was part of Trendsetter, right? And um, the idea was that it was gonna just again pay the light, and then uh, then I was like I'm able to pay the rent, and then I was like oh now it's gonna, So then I, I spun it out to something called music video uh, submissions. So then it was its own company, and uh, when music video submissions happened, like I you know we were making some consistent money but nothing crazy, and uh, and I remember like I just finished a website I hit, you know boom it was a whole another whole new domain, uh, I just hit like you know whatever return. website um live went up brushed my teeth came down made 250 bucks I was like this is this is awesome this is this is what I need to be doing with my life I need to be making money while I sleep you know and that that's kind of and then from there it evolved to video because I was like I again being very short sighted I was like I I was the original goal was only music videos and I was like no this is this is bigger than music videos So I went from music videos to video which was video and then I was like oh shit now I'm doing so I'm like all right, well, if I were to go back in the time machine and slap myself in the face, the other thing I would say is make sure you come up with a name that is, is a little bit like, you know, isn't so n- narrow in its scope, you know, because a lot of times people just think we do video, but in, in actuality, we, we do much more than that.
0: Yeah, for sure. So can you talk a little bit about the, um, like how the value proposition has evolved throughout the years and kind of what the, the current state of the business is and just a little glimpse as far as some of the people and artists you, you work with?
2: Yeah. I mean, so, so very, very early on, we were, we were extremely fortunate to, um, you know, um, you know, do have the uh, trap queen from Fetty, uh, you know, come through your platform. And, and that was something that we sent through um, to MTV. Then after that we saw uh white Iverson and then we were like, Oh man, we're seeing all these fucking crazy, you know, we've seen all these crazy videos come through and he's ours like blown up. Um, and, uh, and we're basically here day one. And, and, At that time, we were doing, like, YouTube and Just vivo. And um, and then we started saying, okay, like, we need to, you know, we need to start uh, expanding the offerings. And so at that time, the thought process was that we were going to stay and expand within the video space, that we were going to, you know, I I, I, I basically was like, all right, we're going to go from TuneCore for video to Hootsuite for video. And my um, hypothesis at that point was that everything was going to go towards, like, you know, multi-platform distribution and because a lot of people didn't, fit, you know, had a difficult time wrapping their head because, you know, video comes with uh, increased complexities from a rights management standpoint as well as from a technological standpoint, from bandwidth, you know, just encoding. And, you know, video is always challenging just like it is for Zoom calls, right? I mean, you want to basically make the smallest file size with the, you know, in audio, people don't care about um, uh, quality as much, you know? Like for instance, like you look at title and their value proposition is high quality audio and that, that kind of, you know, people don't really care about that that much, right? There's a, you know, everyone was totally, some people do, right? Like, but like most people, the general public are mm-hmm. fine with MP3s, right? Um, in video, people tend to be a lot more like, you know, they want 4K, right? And like, no one wants to, no one wants to go back to VHS, right? And so, but MP3s, like people still tolerate them. Um, and so, you know, there's always that challenge of making the best quality of video at the lowest file size. And that was something we were really good at figuring out um, in, in terms of delivering. Because in the early days, um, you know, even YouTube had basically upload limits. So you might have a 150 megabyte upload limit. And so when you actually produce the video, it's a 3 gig file. And so now you want to make, you wanna make the, the, what is naturally a 3 gigabyte file into 150 megabytes and have it look as good as possible, then upload it to YouTube because people wanted the video to look pristine. And so that was something we were just very good at, um, you know, just from my background of having produced and directed videos and from the video marketing days. And so, you know, we expanded this service offerings to like, you know, we're like, all right, Facebook, um, Daily Motion, there's a platform called Muzu, things like that ends up, you know, those um, companies kind of went by the wayside and um, what we thought was going to happen, I originally, I I thought things were going to move towards video and I was right, but I thought it was going to be music videos on all these platforms. And so what it turns out is that it, the video, things are moving towards video, but everyone kind of finds their own lane to be in, whether it's short form, long form, vertical videos, canvas videos, music videos. Um, you know, everyone's kind of finding out that like the videos that work on TikTok don't work on facebook and the videos that work on facebook don't work on youtube you know and so that that's that's where i kind of got that wrong and so um you know from there um you know we kind of looked at the space and started saying like you know kind of had that moment of like you know early on no one really wanted to be in this space and then all of a sudden everyone wanted to be in this space um and then you know we started looking and saying okay well how do we how do we build a defensive moat so yeah i mean it, it was important for us as like we kind of went through the journey to you know we because it went from it went from like our space uh went from like no one on planet earth giving a shit about it like we were doing interviews with uh with different uh magazines that were just like you know streaming is gonna wreck the business spotify doesn't pay shit youtube doesn't pay stuff like you know everyone and and then overnight it kind of went from no one cares to everyone cares right and so you know once everyone cares um you know all of a sudden like all these other companies started to kind of come into the mix. Right. And so we're looking at, it, and I'm like, all right, well, I gotta, you know, I have to play the long game here um, and I don't want to participate in any sort of like race to the bottom. So I started looking at it and going like, all right, like since we're financially stable and we've always been like capital efficient, you know, how could I build like a defensive moat around my company to really kind of move out like five years into where the space is going. And so Um, So what we decided to really do is not be in like the artist business necessarily, but be in like the, man, you know, in really the infrastructure business and supporting managers. And so, you know, like I was saying before, like I don't, I don't want to find the next Justin Bieber. I want to find the next Scooter Braun, right? I want to find the person that is, you know, um, that is kind of like uh, with the idea that the coach outlasts the player and you find that these people, you know, these who, have a really um, strong ability to kind of find, nurture and curate talent, you know, it turns out that they want to spend as much time doing that as possible. And, you know, when I look at, you know, building a scalable business, I'm like, well, you know, how could I, you know, one, you know, really support and focus on these individuals that are, that are responsible for discovering and curing the most talented artists in the world. And two, like, how could I, like, you know do that at at some sort of scale and it turns out when you're really just focusing on the back uh office you know side of things uh it allows them to kind of do what they love more and 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 so the so there's a very strong value proposition there and it also like it doesn't really require us to be experts in all genres of music and so you know I'll be the first one to say when when they you know when when they bring artists uh to us is that like you know Anyway, once you kind of get to a certain age, you know, I, this is a conversation I have with my daughter all the time. You know, I try and convince her I'm cool. She tells me I'm not cool. And, like, and, and once you get to a certain age, and I'm, I'm about that age, like, you, you know, I don't care who you are. Like, you, know, you start losing at least a little touch, in touch of what, what is actually moving the needle. But like, I, know, I know talented businessmen you know, and women when I see them. And so like, when I meet these people that have their ear to the ground, you know, regardless of genre or region, we're we're entering into a global music market, and so you know, I'm not going to pretend like I'm the foremost expert on regional Mexican music or Afro pop music or you know what's going on um you know, you know in Korea, you know, with K-pop and stuff like that. But like, but I could find the person that does and and partner with them and and really provide them with the infrastructure so they could scale, and um and and that's really the space that we're very interested in being in.
0: Yeah. Go
1: ahead, John. I was just going to say, so it seems like what you're implying is obviously people who have their ears to that are in touch with the culture, whatever that culture may be, you want to support those people. Um, What are some other qualities of like, you know, managers or people that you potentially want to partner with? Um,
2: I mean, so most of them are like people who have kind of the long-term interest of their artists at heart, you know, and so... You know, there's a lot of people who are kind of in the flipping game. Um, you know, there's a lot of kind of corruption within the industry of people kind of, you know, taking advantage of their artists, uh, just because they simply are more knowledgeable on how music rights work. Um, and, and could kind of like, you know, do like a flip, so to speak. I mean, we're really looking for people that want to, and, and that's not necessarily mean, that doesn't mean that like, you know, that if you have a manager or if you are part of a label that they're not, you know, that an upstream to like a major or something like that doesn't make sense. That's not what I'm talking about. I'm talking about when people like find something, sign it, flip it five minutes later, and then all of a sudden, like they won't pick up the phone, you know, for you, which is, we're seeing that a lot, especially in in a lot of these TikTok hits. So like our interest is like someone that kind of understands the space, understands the, the value, and then also understands that like, you know, um, that they they should really want to work with their clients over the long period of th- you know over a long period of time and build like career artists i mean that that's 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 essentially that's that's the business we want to be in because we want to we want to back those people uh you know both from a technology infrastructure and also from a financial standpoint and being able to kind of help fund you know their deals opportunistically and again like we're not trying to uh, sign these artists i mean if we if we make any sort of investment uh into the artist it's alongside you know our our label partners they're involved you know we will have some sort of like mutually beneficial situation so like if they you know we have a a label right now where they have an artist that's blowing up they of course want to keep the artist on their label and so we'll come in help fund that deal and then you know have a partnership between us and a label to you know but, but as far as we're concerned like that artist is on that label they're not on Video records or anything like that. Like we, we are, we are. I am the guy
0: behind the guy. That's sick. That's cool, man. I like that approach. When, um, when so when it comes to just, I mean, obviously, more and more. I loved your vision too. Um, you felt that it's. I mean, kind of as we look forward in the music industry, it's not necessarily going to be um, three or four major record labels. There's going to be thousands of smaller record labels that specialize in building communities around their artists. Um, can you dive a little bit deeper into into that vision and and how you see the the landscape shifting, and then what we can expect in the coming years?
2: Yeah. So, like, so I, I, I in my opinion, like, you know, we're seeing at least the um, the initial kind of um, foundation of like something that could be alarming that I think people should you know be aware of is that like is that you know we're starting to see for the most part the the industry. Uh, the music industry has always been very kind of U S centric. Right. So, so when you look at something and like, for instance, if you went to um, uh, a country in Africa, for instance, like they would have their local music, but then they also know who like Michael Jackson is. Right. And that's how it was kind of globally, meaning that like, in order for uh, Americans to kind of be aware of an artist, like even look at the Beatles, right. The Beatles had to like come to America. You know rolling stones like these artists had to basically come to america and then you know america is almost it's almost like baseball right it's like you don't know who the best baseball player is in japan like in order for them to kind of make it they had to come to america and then we basically exported our culture and pushed our you know our our culture which you know is is through music onto every country so every country kind of had their own their own culture and then they were you know we pushed ours out um and for the most part you know it's it's uh you know we didn't really it, it was it was we didn't really listen to a lot of stuff that came in right and then all of a sudden the internet you know came up, streaming became a thing. You didn't have to actually buy you know like you're not going to just click through and buy random you know albums from like artists you've never heard of, but for streaming, like you could do that right? you could dip your toe in a word, you could discover new things and so I think that um there's a most companies are making a very big mistake. thinking that the idea of what you should do is kind of like and I and I kind of call it like almost like colonizing because it's very similar to you know um, what happened when you know when you know I mean America or whoever you know the Europeans would kind of colonize different areas which is you know they go there the big company comes in they set up like an office in this area and then they sign those artists bring them essentially bring them here whether virtually or or, uh, in you know actually and then kind of give them kind of the, uh, um, you know, that that old, like they put them through the old kind of antiquated model, right? Um, and so when I look at it, I'm like, well, you know, if if there's been a community you know, of artists that are, that exists within a certain region around the world that was basically kind of overlooked and neglected, there's also kind of an infrastructure there, meaning that there's a, there's record labels and there's, uh, there's producers and there's, there's, there's a whole infrastructure that should be built up along with the artists, if that makes sense. And so, you know, the, so what we want to do is that, and when we talk to these artists, I mean, there's DSPs there that are worried about, there, there are local DSPs that are wor- worried about Apple and Spotify coming in and eating their lunch. And there's, uh, and there's local small labels there that are, are worried about like the major labels kind of coming in and like, uh, and kind of eating them up, right? And just, just literally taking their artists from them. Um, and so our you know our position um, is really kind of again focusing on the community aspect of it is to kind of find a lot of those local players and and give them that infrastructure um, and and we don't need any credit for it like we, we will give them the scalable the infrastructure allow them to kind of run their business and allow them to kind of compete with any of the major companies that are out there um, in like a partnership and and again like we're, we are supporting you know that community um of uh you know uh, the business community and we're helping like you know build and scale labels.
0: Yeah, no it's amazing and exciting to see that. I think um I mean even too you're seeing like major labels try and stay relevant by partnering with like smaller management companies and doing these jvs all the time. So it's uh I mean there is a case to be made on on partnering with bigger labels, but I think the more and more services like yours that you bring to the table, the the less they need to partner with major labels yeah. to Get infrastructure like that. Yeah, and, and what what you find is,
2: I, I and, and this is the thing that I think that you know we're trying to be cognizant of is that like I think that you know when you're doing that, um, it's very hard. Like for instance, if you're looking at you know like and you, if you rewind the clock and you say okay, there's these big movements of music that have happened over the years. And I just watched like um, you know the Beastie Boys documentary recently. I'm not sure if you guys have seen that, but like. You know, along with the Beastie Boys came Def Jam Records, and then Def Jam Records, you know, par- obviously partnered or is you know bought or owned by Universal. Um, and then eventually, what ends up happening is that that kind of small boutique label, you know, they end up kind of signing the artist, you know, directly in different deals. And so, like, our our whole thing is that like we want to knock. Um, you know, I think our key differentiator is that we don't try and compete with our partners. Like, we don't want to sign the artist directly. We don't want to, you know, um, you know. Uh, uh like sign up an artist or sign up a label, power that label, look at all their data and be like, oh wow, we could just go around this label and, and you know, and sign these, you know, these guys or or what ends up happening is that there's an artist that breaks off and then all of a sudden all the producers and all the artists around that artist uh, start, you know, taking off. Um so it's not uncommon for like if a nirvana blows up for it also to be like I mean you have everything from like a Pearl Jam to Soundgarden to you know Dinosaur Junior or whatever. Yeah. Like all these other bands that kind of blow up, like, you know, we don't really have an interest. Like we do not want to compete. Like we think that there's enough scale out there that we could stay solely in the distribution space and not be a label. You know,
1: what do you think are the positives of, um, I guess, I guess this is twofold of investing in these smaller labels. And what do you think as an artist is attractive for companies that might, um, that might, I guess, partner with a company like Video.
2: So, like, yeah. So, so the number one thing that I tell artists, and and I, actually, this is the advice I give to anyone. Like, when people go, "Oh, like, what's the, you know, how can I find a really good, like, you know, venture lawyer, or what? What is it that you want to look for in a venture capitalist, or a, or an artist manager, or a label? Number one thing, they pick up the phone when you call. That's it. That's the number one thing that you want to do. Is that like. Is that when things are going good, when things are going bad, when you know, when you need advice, or they they are there for you. That is like that, in, and literally like when I started my marketing company, Trendsetter, I said, I don't care if you have good news, bad news, or no news on on the marketing campaign. When the client calls, you pick up. That's it. Just and 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 people value that so much um, because it is. It's important. It, it's it's actually very important. And so you know the idea that we free up our partners' time. So they could kind of talk to their artists and be like working alongside them in, in partnership with them is in my mind, like, you know, so important. Like people don't realize, like, you know, a lot of times, you know, always, people always want to say, you know, big fish, small pond, small fish, big pond. And and the reality of the situation is that you want to be the right fish in the right pond. And so, you know, so, so you, you want to know that if you are signing and again, like major labels are not going to go away. They're still going to make sense you know, for, um, uh, this, you know, small amount of artists that end up, you know, like, like the next, uh, Bruno Mars probably will always make sense to be, a, you know, I'm part of a major, but the the truth of the matter is that if Bruno calls or his manager calls, you know, guess what, the late, you know, whoever is at the label is going to pick up. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, and so everyone just assumes that, you know, if you're getting that phone call because you had that TikTok hit that they're going to pick up. And, and, you know, most people are, are, you know, kind of uh, upset when they find out that, you know, that's, that's usually not the case. And so, you know, you you definitely want to, you know, be um, partners with anyone, like whether it's your lawyer, like, you know, you don't need the biggest lawyer in the world, you don't need the biggest manager in the world, you don't need to be on the biggest label in the world, you just need someone who picks up the phone when you call and and like has your best interest at heart.
1: That's funny that you say that because um, I actually had a conversation with one of my clients a few years ago, and um, my boss at the time signed him to our our management company. And I was like, so what was the what was the thing? And you know, he he had been courted by a lot of different management companies. And I was like, well, what was the what was the reason why you chose our company? You know, we're small, we're scrappy, you know, but you know, we're we're clearly at this level at least at this point a startup. Like, what was the thing? And he said, you know, all these other companies when I called them, they didn't pick up. <laughs> he was like literally when i called when i called you know when he called my boss it was you know i don't know what time it was but he said he picked up within two seconds and then and then he yeah. knew right then that he should that he should join this management company so it's it's like the you know the second time i'm i'm seeing that and hearing that um so i guess also yeah. to managers you know that's that's a, that's an important thing to learn to being to being a manager or being someone at a label it's like how attentive are you to your artists, even when they call you, not even just like on these big campaigns, but how attentive are you to you, to, uh, to your artists and their needs on a daily basis as well.
2: Yeah. I mean, I, and and I definitely think that's it, but also like to extending it to like how I think about the company. I think like, I think about how do, I don't just think how do I scale and grow the company, but I think how do I scale and grow the company and continuously provide value. And I think that, um, it 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 gets when you add that layer to it it gets it gets a lot harder because like you want to pro, you want how do you provide value to you know ten thousand artists and, and and I think what you're finding is that a lot of these DIY platforms that you know for the most part like we're we're born out of a U.S. centric music market um, you know that that for the longest time spun wheels. With like, you know, um, I don't know, 150,000 artists, and they were able to handle customer service. All of a sudden, like now it's a global music market. And now, now you know, now you're not playing in a pool of 330 million people in the US, but you're playing in, in the pool of billions of people. Um, you know, and a lot and countries that are now like, you know, all of a sudden, like, you know, I mean, what's going on in Africa and India and stuff like that is like, it's, 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 it's amazing. You know, I mean, the fact that, you know, um, that these artists there could earn like, a very good living by, you know, creating music and now have the infrastructure to do so, you know, it's creating nothing short of a phenomenal explosion. So like, but, but I think what you find is that these platforms don't work when there's a million people signed to them, because what ends up happening is you send a customer service ticket and, you know, and then it gets answered a week later and then you, you go, no, it's not really what I want to ask. Like, you know, (laughs) I want to ask something, you know, then you ask something else and it's like, I got to wait. It's like, it's like putting a fucking note in a bottle and then just like you know like throwing <laughs> it into the ocean you know it's like it just doesn't work it doesn't work and so like these, the model doesn't work at, at at a global scale and so uh so like i said so it ends up when you're just selling access in my opinion and and if you're you know if you're a jazz artist and all you don't want to do is get on the dsps and like you have a few basic educational you know question, you know um fundamental questions that you want to be like hey how does playlisting work or you know, what, you know, how do, you know, digital rights work or, you know, neighboring rights or whatever, like, you know, you want to be able to send an email or send a text or do whatever, um, and get a response, you know, very quickly. And so if you, you know, so if you're going to be one of 200 jazz artists that are distributed by a very small distribution company that's powered by one or two people, um, Mm -hmm. you're definitely going to do that because, you know, why you, because you're part of a community.
0: Right. Right. Yeah, it makes a lot of sense. So when you think about, like, the um, – I mean, when does it make sense for an artist to – is it ever too early for an artist to partner and start working with video? I mean, do you feel like they need to be at a certain stage in their career before it makes sense to uh, really evaluate? Or, or, or a manager. It? Yeah, exactly. It's, I mean, yeah. So,
2: so, I mean, artists approach us all the time. They fill out the forms, especially, like, if we do, like, high-profile releases. So, like, when we did the Kanye release, we got a, a bunch of artists hitting us up and you know the biggest thing is that usually um if, if we get artists direct and we like kind of look at it, we think it's dope like we'll we'll actually introduce them to someone so it could be like let's say you know i used the example before you know tune core for jazz like if someone came in and just like listen i'm doing this kind of jazz funk you know thing and blah blah, blah. and if we look at it and say oh this is you know pretty cool like we'd be like all right you know go, go to this partner you know hit him up and go through him you know what i'm saying like like, and then, and then he has access to our platform and, and we, we really try and emphasize that that we are, you know, we are, I remember when everyone got like pro tools and, or or like the red camera and it'd be like, and the argument was always like, man, you know, I got the, you know, I, I got the, the the digit, whatever, 24, you know, I got the, you know, the waves plugins and shit. Then when you quickly realize is that like, it wasn't, the access to the technology or the equipment that made producers good. It was the talent of the producers that made them good. And so, you know, we we try and emphasize that we are basically a hammer. You know, we are tools in a tool belt. Um, but unless they're used by someone that knows what the fuck they're doing, they they're they're absolutely worthless. And so, mm. you know, in most cases, the tools that we provide are and should be worthless to a musician whose concentration needs to be on being creative. You know, I, in my experience, artists that are kind of too left-brained, too business-minded, you know, tend to actually um, hurt themselves because they're, they're almost trying to gamify things. Um, and and so, you know, an artist should just be, I think an artist in 2020 needs to create as much content as possible, continuously be making uh, and and kind of working on their music and uh, and then have, you know, a, a business-minded counterpart that they trust, which is very important. um Which is, you know, to, in my mind, if someone picks up the phone and you trust them, they are they are just as qualified, if not more qualified, than any ma- major manager. Because it the the industry for them, this isn't like we're not like SpaceX launching rockets to Mars. Like this is not, you know, the, the music industry is not my and I'll put myself included. Like like it, it is not made up of like highly you know, like it's not brilliant people in lab coats, like in clipboards, you know, figuring out equations. Everyone's just kind of figuring <laughs> out as they go along, right? It's, it's not this, like, so, so if, you know, if you just have someone that kind of knows like business that has a good sense and could figure things out, like, you know, like you could do pretty well, you know? Uh, I mean, I, I see so many people making so much money just almost by mistake, you know, it's it's not that complicated of a business, you know, that if you have the right tools and you have a talent. I've yet to see someone who's an artist who's extremely talented like go unnoticed. You know what I'm saying? Like mm-hmm. I, I've seen people who are terrible at the business. Like they'll they'll like be like, ah, I I go on like and that's a that's always the funny like having the marketing background. You'll be like, oh, what's the? I, I've seen artists like create Instagrams, you know, then delete them, then delete all <laughs> their images, then upload them again, then release a song, then take it down, and they're still popular because they make good music. You know what I'm saying? And then I see other people being like, every Tuesday and Thursday for an hour a day, I go on there. And then I friend people, then I unfriend them, and then they friend me. And I'm like, I'm like, oh, you, know, you don't, you know, if you took that energy <laughs> put into music, like, then you would, you don't need any of the other shit. You know what I'm saying? Like, right. And I've, and, and I've, like I said, it's, it's not that complex. Like, you know, if you just make good music, and you have someone that you trust to kind of figure things out. Like you, you will be in pretty
0: good shape. Yeah, yeah. It's interesting. And I think the the prioritization and, and good focus is critical. And I think it's also a reason that you've been able to like scale video. You might not be making your own hits out here musically, but you're <laughs> building a hit business. Can you speak to some of the uh like the biggest lessons you've learned in your entrepreneurial journey and in kind of growing and scaling video? Yeah, so um so basically one of the biggest things and I think about this all the time, because this is
2: constantly like a challenge, is that like um like most people don't think things are like most people don't know a good idea when they hear it right so like so in other words like very early on in the business i really kind of had a conviction and i wasn't 100 percent right but i had the, i had the broad strokes right of like that um that streaming was going to redefine the music that you know that we we're going to go into kind of like a hyper local you know seeing that video is going to be prevalent and like very early on when i started especially when i was raising capital um you know you, you 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 start thinking that other people know more than you know than you do and so everyone kind of second guesses you and what i find is that most people like need like it's kind of seeing as believing right so so in other words they it needs to get uh proven out in order for them to think it's a good idea and so so very early on it was there was very few believers in like what we were doing and then all of a sudden like everyone everyone believed but you know by the time like people think something is a good idea it's actually usually too late right so if you come out with a startup and you are like hey man i really think the industry needs x y and z if you feel like 20 people like that's an awesome idea it's usually too late in my experience because it because like the the really good ideas are the ones that are like forward thinking enough that people don't really realize, you know, that they don't really feel like they need it yet. And by the time they realize they do, you already have a product, you're already out there. Um, and of course that that's, you know, that doesn't necessarily mean that if you walk around and say, oh, I, you know, I'm inventing a square bicycle tire and everyone's like, are you a moron? You know, you're like, that must mean it's a good idea. Like, no, chances are that it'd still be a bad idea. But right. all I'm saying is that like, I went through and I wasted a lot of time um, listening to people kind of being like, well, maybe they're right. Like, you know, maybe they do. And then, and not really doubling down or betting, you know? And so one thing I've learned is really kind of be where people aren't, you know? And so when mm-hmm. I look at this space and I look at, you know, generally in business, all business people, even like, you know, and and I learned this, like, even when I buy stocks, you know, like, you know, in a stock market dip, I bought, I went up and I bought a bunch of like Shopify stock and things like that. Like, I was like, you know, like you learn that like most people just don't know what the hell they're doing. Like you just like, right. it's, and and like you know they don't know any better than you do. They just have a better like you know game face. And so, uh, and so like you know I feel like if you have a, if you know if I had a really strong conviction about something and I really felt like it made sense that I was like you know what I I I would rather live and die by my own ideas than you know than just not go for it. You know, and so that's that's kind of something that I. I think about a lot because, you know, because it's very easy to kind of second guess yourself when you want to take things in a certain direction. Um, you know, for us as a company, I might say I might talk to my investors or advisors and say, you know, I really want to take the company in this direction. And like and I'll give you an example. Very early on when we were doing the video, um, the everyone, I'll talk to all these VCs. and I'm talking about guys like that had a ton of money, have done this. They were all like, you should be an MCN. You should be an MCN. Now you don't hear anything about fucking MCMs, right? I mean, it's just not a thing. Because it's like, because when everyone was, t- and I was like, it just doesn't make sense because there's so many of them around. But like, but if I went in that direction, like we would we would have got killed just like all these other companies, you know, mm-hmm. that, that they were going to be the next Maker Studios or whatever. I mean, that game, you know, that was already played out. By the time people, and I'm talking about, like I said, I'm not talking about like talking to my cousin, you know? I'm talking about like, you know, being in like, you know, big, you know, LA, San Francisco, New York, talking to these like major VCs that are telling us that like the direction we're going with the company is absolutely wrong. And it's like, you know, like they don't know if it you know, most people just have no idea what they're talking about. Mm They rather they rather lose on a bet that they that most people protect for the downside, don't play for the upside, if that makes sense. And so and what I mean by that is that like, you know, they wanna like if they had one entrepreneur which would be me right i come in i'm like i have this idea this idea is uh no one's doing it uh it's going to be a new market and then they look at me and say oh man you know here's a guy he dropped out of community college you know has a small business never had a business you know more than a couple people and then and then on the other side they have two guys you know from stanford who are doing like you know bitcoin for dogs and you and they'd be like that's it you know because they know that if if that's stupid, even if they think it's stupid, if that fails, well, who's going to blame them for investing in the two guys that dr- that went to Stanford right? But if my thing fails, then you know why you know, why did you give that guy money? you know what I'm saying like that guy, <laughs> you know, so so like so even if they think this is a better idea and the upside could be bigger, you know most people play for like what things will look like if it fails if they they won't get blamed and that's the way artists are also that's why you, when you look at labels. And everyone wants to sign up Latin artists or whatever. It's like, well, you know, we were working with Latin artists when no one cared, which is why we did deals with, you know, we were working with Anwell and all these other, you know, major, you know, um, you know, Latin artists. And then all of a sudden it's like, Ooh. Uh, you know, we all love, you know, the Latin space. Everything's going to be bigger. And same thing, like now you're seeing the same thing in Africa, like all these labels of startup offices, they're getting really excited about the space. We were very excited about the space two years ago, you know, when, when we initially started doing our deals. And so, you know, and but most people like you know, like you said, that they're not gonna you know, they don't wanna open up an office in um you know, in some in, in some territory like, you know, that like isn't popular now because if it doesn't work they they'll you know they'll get blamed for that.
1: Right. Right. Um, what's a couple of things, things that you've learned, I guess, as we wrap this up, just about like managing people, like just going from a smaller company to a bigger one and, and the differences and just, you know, managing a small team versus the team you have now? Yeah, I mean, so so I, I always say it's training cats, not
2: dogs. And that's mm-hmm. kind of what we're saying. I mean, so so and what I mean by that is that like I was watching this um this thing. there's a guy, I, I, I forget what it was called, um uh, uh it was like his name was like it was like some Russian guy. That's like a, Hopovich or something like that. but anyway so he would have these like dogs do these like crazy tricks where they would get up and they would go on a ball and then they would kind of go around. and then he also had cats doing the same thing and so like it was kind of unusual to, it wasn't that unusual to see a dog like do tricks right like you've seen plenty of dogs sit stay roll over blah blah and then uh and then you know but it's very unusual to see a cat like do tricks that a dog would do and mm-hmm. and one guy asked them, and i remember this like because i i always like you know, like take things from like, just whatever, just experiencing different things. And, and, um, and the, and he goes, and someone asked and said, how do you, you know, how do you train your cat to sit up and do whatever? And he's like, well, the secret to training cats is like, you, you kind of find out what they want to do and you encourage that. Right. And so, so you don't take it, you don't take a cat and say, i like, teach this cat to sit. You find a cat that like wants to sit or has the you know, inclination to sit and then you you promote that activity. And so when I look at managing people, I think of it the same way, right? So I try not to take a person and um like get them to like do something, right? I I, I look at my organization as a as a puzzle that I want to solve. And so the only thing I want to do is I want to I want the entire organization or the department to do something, right? Um and it could be, you know, to like you know it could be in finance, it could be in uh, creator or label relations. Like I want the I want the department to to have some sort of function, and then people make up that you know that group. And so I try and like um, hire people and kind of find like what they're really good at and really what they want to do, and then figure out how I could take that skill and 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 use it to fit within the organization. Um, and I and I think that that's always been my approach. And uh, and even like you know I was talking you know before we started taping about. You know the the Newark All Stars, and we we do a workshop in which we actually teach people to pitch a business. And uh, we get what we do is we we basically auto assign them numbers, and then you know so be like one two three four five one two three four five one two three four five all right all the ones all the twos all the threes whatever put them in a group, give them an idea, and say find the collective talents of the group, and then figure out a way to pitch the business right. So in other words, you're not going to come around and say you're going to be the CPO, you're going to be CEO. You're going to say what, what is what is everyone you know what is everyone's core talent? And so, I mean, I have some broad strokes in what I like to do in terms of like I look at um, kind of um, you know operators versus visionaries. So like i mm-hmm. I consider myself a visionary. I try and surround myself with operators. So I'm, I'm not very organized. I try and surround myself with organized people. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, and, and this really at the core of everything is really what building a diverse company is all about it, it building a diverse company is not about hiring diverse people and then telling them what to do it is about hiring diverse people because there's a diverse set of experiences and voices within the organization and then you allow that to create a culture within the organization and so right. you do that by kind of listening to them and, and and saying that like maybe me as a CEO doesn't have the like I don't I'm not going to always, like, if it was a math problem, I would never always have the best idea, right? So sometimes, and so you got to allow those voices to kind of, you know, come up and, and allow the group to kind of figure out how it works
0: naturally and and, and support that, if that, if that makes right. sense. Right, yeah, that's awesome. That's awesome. Makes perfect sense. Well, Roy, thank you so much for coming on, man. It's been a pleasure. Super excited to see what video continues to grow into and, and how it continues to uh, support the, the ever-changing music industry, man well yeah thank you for having
1: me appreciate it yeah thank you awesome right. take it easy brother okay. yo man I thought that was I thought that was a really insightful episode you know I was um I was looking at his his linkedin prior to the episode and i saw that he had a ted talk i didn't get to look at it before the episode but as soon as i saw that i was like man well he's gonna definitely have some gems for us and he definitely dropped some you know what i mean just just in terms of the way he spoke and and uh the amount of the amount of context he gave us on his situation i think there's a lot to learn from um i just think you know in terms of what he looks for in a manager to get specifics just kind of you know the the main thing that i've realized is how how often do you pick up the phone? Can can the artist trust you? Those are those are things that not just the artist wants to see, but partners of the manager want to see, partners of the label head want to see. Like are you thinking long term with these artists before you work with them? You know, and like I said in the intro, these are all great qualities of, of any person, any business person in the music industry. So I'm glad that we got to kinda got to to break that down. What'd you think, okay. Sam? Yeah, I thought
0: so too. I thought it was incredible, man. I think uh, really loved hearing about his journey as an entrepreneur, empowering his team, um, paying attention, doing, if everybody's going left, you go right. I think that's uh, very critical to really, if you do to really have a, a truly good idea, you to really be thinking on a different wavelength than anybody else. Um, so I really, really valued all that perspective and uh, excited to see them continue to grow if you haven't already I encourage you to check out video.com very powerful software a powerful tool i think could help a lot of you uh, listeners so um yeah that's it another week that's, that's another one in the books with that said definitely want to encourage you to leave a review if you haven't already in the uh, in the apple podcast spotify wherever you're listening to the podcast it helps us make sure we're creating the content you love and getting in front of more people so as always appreciate y'all and uh We'll see you next week. Until then, stay safe, stay hungry.
1: Yep.